However, I will add that their job as a government agency is to say, yes, of course you can do that. What they don't always tell you is how much it will cost to get there. And so that's where getting someone else involved that has some expertise. And yes, to achieve that, these are the pieces that it will take to do that. Welcome to MeetsPad. In collaboration with the American Meat Science Association, it's a platform dedicated to share breakthrough knowledge that is accessible to the global meat industry. On each episode, you'll have the opportunity to listen and learn from meat specialists and professionals about the whole meat industry. This podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Meat Export Federation. U.S. Pork. Ultrasource, equipment and supplies for the meat and food industry. Hello, meat folks. Welcome back to the Meats Pad Podcast. It is your hungry and humble host, Phil Bass, here with uh, a connection from from uh, um, a, a previous um a previous time in my life uh, that, uh, wow, this is, this is sounding odd. Um, Dr. Bob Delmore was my major professor for my my uh, my master's degree um, and has been a longtime uh, friend and colleague of mine. But as he would mention, the smarter and much more good looking version is Dr. Lynn Delmore, his wife. And, and I appreciate uh, Dr. Lynn Delmore, Lynn, um, being a part of the show today with us. Lynn, thanks for joining. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm anxious to to be a part of this. Yeah. Well, uh, don't be too anxious. Just tell me what's on your mind, of course. But um, so uh, the 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 Delmore team um, is the is always the first that comes to mind when I'm thinking of food safety. I learned so much from you guys um, from uh, many years ago, and I continue to learn from you guys. And um, and I know that. Uh, a day-to-day occurrence for you, Lynn, is to um, help help plants um, troubleshoot their um, their own systems to just make themselves better um, as a result. Um, but there's a number of, of questions that are floating around out there right now. And I think this is very timely, and I believe that you can answer some of those questions. Um, and one being um, that I get regularly is, I want to become USDA inspected and I'm, we're going to start up a new meat plant. And first thing, of course, I say, um, are you really, really sure you want to do that? But secondly is, um, well, let's go through that, that process, shall we? Um, things may have changed uh, since the last time I was truly engaged in that world. And so um, I'd love to get your perspective on if someone comes up to you and says, I want to, I want to become USDA inspected. What's the process? What do we need to know about going into this eyes wide open? Well, you you started with some really good questions. Are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> um, and so there are lots of uh, pieces to becoming USDA inspected. And so to your point, we get lots of questions from folks that are brand new. We want to build a plant. We get um, this question from plants that are existing custom plants or state inspected plants who then want to become Um, under FSIS, Inspection Food Safety Inspection Service, um, which is a division of the USDA. And so people come at it from different directions. Um, The thing that I will always start with is, you know, leave enough time. This is not a quick process. um, And, you know, you just need to plan early. And so we really start with, if it's an existing facility, you know, kind of get USDA out there, have them walk through what you're planning uh, with them, and they can give you some insight. However, I will add that their job as a government agency is to say, yes, of course you can do that. 
What they don't always tell you is how much it will cost to get there. And so that's where getting someone else involved that has some expertise. And yes, to achieve that, these are the pieces that it will take to do that. So that's if you have kind of an existing plan. If you are starting from scratch, um, please, please, please get someone involved. If you do not have someone involved that understands design of a facility. And so um, we are often getting calls from plants who kind of went through the design process. They they kind of thought they had an idea of what they needed and then it doesn't necessarily, um, not that it's not possible, but doesn't make it easy to do what the regulations require you to do. And so if you can design that in to your plant, um, you are better off. So get expert advice early on, early on, earlier than you think, even if you have to put them on hold for a while, um, it may be that they can be really helping you in those initial, initial stages from, you know, footprint of and layout of a facility, because um, that that can cause so many problems unto itself. Um, so that's my first thing is get get expert advice early on. Invite the agency out, um, become a partner with the agency. Uh, let them know what you're doing, where you're heading. They will give you some advice. They will give you some um, ideas of what their expectations are. The big programmatic things that are required um, are a requirement for the HACCP plan. And I know we'll talk about HACCP, so hazard analysis critical control points. Um, uh, the final rule for that came about in 1996. So all FSI suspected plants in 1996 have had that. Um, and that is a large undertaking. Um, and again, this is, this is one of those places where um, having some expert help um, is, is recommended to help you get there to get the right HACCP plan. Um, there are some uh, resources for small plants um, put out by FSIS. There's other groups that have resources that can be helpful. Um, so you can kind of take a take a first stab at it yourself and get some help, get training um, in this. Even if you were trained long ago, the expectations uh, for HACCP and the regulations have changed. And so making sure you're you're up to date on that training. So we can talk more about kind of what it takes to put together a HACCP plan. The other big programmatic thing is the sanitation standard operating procedures. So your SSOPs, how you will clean the plant. Both of these programs require you really knowing what the flow of the plant's going to be, what your products are going to be, what your ingredients are going to be, where your raw materials are coming from. And so all of that is a tremendous amount of information that people typically aren't ready to answer if they're starting up from scratch. You know, that takes a while to get that information. But to, to do these things, you must have that. So you kind of have to layer those things in as you go. If you have an existing facility, you may already have those formulations and process schedules of what you're making um, on a custom basis that, that now you're converting under inspection. There is a list of other programs you're going to need in terms of recall programs and food defense and pest management. And you'll have to get letters of guarantees on your uh, potability of your water, you know, um, your sewage system, all of those types of things. I think those are pretty easily you can gather together. Um, but know that there is a tremendous amount that goes into just getting that initial grant of inspection. Yeah, well, and, and these are great lists, and, and I, I'm glad that you've mentioned a number of times, get expert advice, get USDA's advice, um, build a team um, so that you're going with into this thing, um, you're not you're not going into it alone. And there it, it's there's definitely a lot of steps that are involved. 
Um, you've mentioned a number of them. Um, HACCP training is a, is a great beginning so that folks understand what exactly HACCP is and what goes into um, uh, making sure that that's an effective program. The SSOPs, sanitary standard operating procedures, um, prerequisite programs that you've already mentioned, um, all those things uh, will go into this process. Now, something uh, some somebody maybe from the look outside looking in um and a lot of the folks that call me up regularly on uh on this topic um all of those things sound very very intimidating and and they can be if you're unaware of what that means and that's where bringing the ex experts in getting your additional training is important um but what i also tell people it, is once it's in place um it's paperwork, and we do paperwork all the time. It doesn't matter where you are, what um, what organization you're part of. If you do taxes, you do paperwork for the government. And so um, this is definitely a little bit more advanced. Um, there's there's um, certain guarantees that we need to be bringing about for the public to know that we're doing everything right, and then to keep the inspectors um, in uh, in in a, in a uh, a content manner, so that knowing that we are doing everything right um, according to what we have said we're going to do. Um, but uh, uh, just just wanted to do a little bit of a recap there because that's a lot of great information, and you can tell that we're not going to answer everything on this. 20, 30 minutes that we're going to have together here. We're, this is just the very beginnings, but I think you're going to be a great resource uh, for a lot of folks going forward, as well as other organizations through American Meat Science Association. Um, we have some great resources as well. Um, so you've already mentioned HACCP. I want to go down that road, especially for those maybe who are um, currently under inspection or are ready to make that leap. Um, what are some things that they need to be aware of, especially if if you are currently under inspection and didn't realize possible changes that have occurred recently? Um, you bet. So I think you're kind of hitting on one of the misunderstandings about the implementation of HACCP under FSIS, and that is that you just have to do this to get your grant of inspection, and, and then somehow you're done with it. You know, right. you completed that task, um, and that is not the case at all. So this is a live active program that is constantly being updated based on um, your raw materials, your suppliers, the you know your process, your equipment that's in place. And so every time any of those things change, you have to actually modify your plan. Likewise, um, I mentioned that this regulation went into place for FSIS in 1996. So what 20, you know, some years ago, and um, although it's been in place for that long, the expectations from the agency itself um, are constantly changing. So the expectation changes, the regulation itself hasn't changed, but how it's implemented um, and what they expect to see has continually changed and has built on itself um, for improvement of food safety. Mm -hmm. So we, we, are, we are at a better place now than we were when this regulation was um, first put in place. Uh, but you just have to recognize this is ongoing. So it's not a one HACCP class. I learned my seven principles. I'm done. Um, we highly encourage people to come back on a regular basis. And whether it be repeating a class that's the principles of HACCP, learning about the seven principles, or an advanced HACCP class, but something where you're getting, hey, this is the nuance now of the wording that the agency likes to see. Or if you're still using this wording, um, they're going to start to question you. Or 
they don't like uh, seeing this particular resource. So validation has been one of the um, pieces that have changed tremendously of what their expectation of how you validate your HACCP plans. And so you will need to validate a HACCP plan whenever you start a new HACCP plan. Again, when your process, when your product changes, you have to revalidate. Um, and then you're going to go through a reassessment at least annually to make sure that your programs are still controlling your hazards of concern. So if I can tell you way back when, in early, early regulatory HACCP plans, we might have written um, a microbial hazard, a biological hazard was bacteria. I even saw some HACCP plans that said germs, germs. Uh, you know, back in the day, <laughs> which was a Tuesday, by the you're, way. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're, you're saying we've come a long way. Is it? We've come a long way. And so we want to see, you know, the specific organism of concern, E. coli 0157H7, Salmonella species, Listeria monocytogenes. But more than that, now we want to see leading into what am I concerned about? Am I concerned about um, the presence or absence of E. coli 0157H7? in which case I'm gonna apply some heat or some acid or you know something to actually kill that organism, or am I concerned about the potential growth of that organism, in which case I'm gonna implement cold chain management. Um, and so these are different controls based on whether I'm concerned about the presence or the growth of that organism. Likewise, when we get into some spore forming organisms, we can talk about spore germination and the risk of that or toxin production. And each of these have different controls. And so to just say, I'm gonna control E. coli by keeping it cold, you know, only controls the growth. And so we've got to get past that. And this is one of the areas in the in the more modern HACCP plans that's been a huge change is this layers of detail that have gone into. But truly it makes sense when we talk about how do I control, I have to know what am I controlling? Growth, presence, spore germination, et cetera. Likewise, we've seen a huge change in the agency's expectations about the detail put into monitoring of um, has a point or monitoring of critical control points. And so you have a critical control point. You say, I'm going to cook this product to 165. And they say, great. And you say, how am I, how are you going to do that? And I'm going to go back in the day. I might've said, I'm going to, um, cause you do this as what and, uh, how and when and who's going to do it. And I might say, I'm going to monitor temperature. How am I going to do it with a thermometer? Uh, when am I going to do it hourly and who the QA? And that's all, you know, I don't know, is that eight words, 10 words, whatever that was, that's all we would say in these four columns of monitoring. And now the expectation is this internal temperature of the product, is this external temperature of the product, is it room temperature, is it cooler temperature, what temperature are we actually talking about? And then when we get to the how, this is a paragraph, this is, you know, not truly an SOP, but getting towards that. So mm -hmm. I'm getting in the geometric center of the kettle or the, you know, the the top, middle and bottom row of an oven rack and um, taken from the cold spot of the oven. And so there's a tremendous amount of detail that goes into that. Um, when we get to frequency now, again, we're still looking at could be, you know, within a production hour, there's some nuances in the wordings there. Um, and then who we always say, please don't have it just be Phil Bass, although yeah. Phil's really good, he may not be there that day. And so make <laughs> sure that you've got somebody else trained to do that job and call that out a job task and their trained designee. And so then that allows, you know, everybody to be part of it. So we're seeing those types of changes, we're constantly going into facilities and helping them um, develop develop to the next level their plans because some plans have not been updated 
um, as frequent as they probably should be. The mission of USMEF is to increase the value and profitability of the U.S. beef, pork, and lamb industries by enhancing demand for their products and export markets through a dynamic partnership of all stakeholders. Simply put, USMEF is putting U.S. meat on the world's table. Sure. Yeah. Well, it, and, you know, this is that ounce of prevention um, bit. You know, if, if, you, if you are looking at the HACCP plan as a living document. And I'm glad you said that because it is something that we need to continue to, to revisit. It's not a one and done scenario. But if you're looking at it at, at, as that living document and working with others in the industry um, to continue to get better at your food safety systems, um, it shouldn't be a great undertaking to make these, these changes. Um, it's just we have to be more critical as to how we're making the, the assessments as to what needs to be done, right? So, um, and, I, and, and I think that's really fascinating. This is actually a, a lot of news to me. It's been a while since I've spent much time in the food safety side of things. I hang out in the quality and eating part of, of it all, but uh, um, is, uh, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot more detail, but it's, it's clearly a scientific process that's leading a lot of this. Um, and, and uh, you know, some of the research that you've done in the past that, that uh, a lot of your team members have, have been a part of. And then another thing, too, that you've mentioned was um, there's not there's definitely not a one size fits all category here. This is, you know, it, it, what is it that you're doing and, and what are the multiple things that you may be doing in that one facility? And each one of those those processes need to have their own their own plan in place. So. That's such a good point. And so often plants will think, oh, I, I, you know, I know my buddy has a plant like this in Idaho. And so I can um, just, you know, use their HACCP plan. It'll be fine. Yeah. I'll just plug it right in. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not the case. And so we each have different hazards based on our own flows, our own experiences, our own data that says there. So we have to make sure that they are specific to a location. Although certainly you can start with a format. Mm -hmm. um, likewise, the agency in their um, small plant guidance has some model HACCP plans. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I would say is they anything kind of written like that becomes antiquated really quickly. And so even their model plans, I feel like aren't meeting the current expectations in several areas. Um, and so that's that keeping current. And I can't, you know, you stressed, um, you know, American Meat Science Association, trade associations, mm -hmm. you know, university extension groups that have roundtables um, for HACCP and food safety, any updated training, you have to stay current, um, reaching out. So you have to proactively be looking for these opportunities to learn more. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I, I can't stress that enough. Be involved in your trade associations. Um, and be have somebody that you can call and ask these questions to. If it's not a consultant, it's a trade association. You know, you can layer those out. There's, you know, companies that have whole uh, food safety firms, uh, mm -hmm. law firms on retainer to to support some of their um, issues. But staying on top of it, it's a nice bigger thing. task than you think. Yeah, it is. It certainly is. Yeah, yeah. And it's very important to um, consider having. Um, if you're a small plant, having a person that is designated that that's this is their primary task is making sure that all of this is is being done correctly um, and and um, and that we're that we're following the protocols that the paperwork's getting done. Um, and then to give perspective for those smaller plants, there's larger facilities that have entire armies devoted to making sure that everything is going along the right way. And this is not 
at all a trivial thing that um, the government is just making you do because the government wants to make you do things. This is because of food safety. Um, we can get into the the whole history of things. That's for another um, discussion for another day. But um, you know, there's there's uh, a lot of folks that have uh, can can recall what led up to the necessity of this this um, this process and programs um, to be in place. And it's for uh, the right, uh, it, it's the right thing to do. Um, it's the reason why we can boast um, having the safest food supply in the world. I strongly believe because of the foundation of HACCP that we have here in the United States in North America. Um, any thoughts on what, what we might need to be thinking about for the near future? I think you have already addressed kind of um, a lot of what folks need to be considering as to going forward, if you already have a HACCP plan in place and maybe you haven't reviewed it in a while, um, we need to be more precise with what it is that we're talking about so that we don't get ourselves in trouble later on after a, a, a higher up from the from FSIS comes in and has that discussion. Um, uh, for folks that are considering going into it, just do it right the first time and then we don't have to, <laughs> have to worry so much about it. You know, be precise. Um, don't be too general. Be precise in, in what you're going to say. But any other thoughts going forward that um, we might need to be considering? And I know you don't have your crystal ball in front of you, but um, any thoughts are, are always welcome. Well, as you and I've said, you know, it is a dynamic program, program um, and the expectations are constantly updated. Um, the best practices throughout our industry are constantly updated. Um, and as we do that, we continue, you bring up the science, this is for food safety. We continue to identify potentially new hazards. Um, and from the regulatory side, we look at some of the known existing organisms that may be actually declared adulterants in the future. And so kind of watching what is happening, um, both with new identification. I will tell you, I had um, you know worked with some folks at one point in time that, uh, looked at E. coli 0157H7 would not survive in an acidic environment. And then lo and behold, we have our first outbreak and recall associated with, you know, semi-dry um, salamis. And um, in fact, we found that it would survive, that organism would survive in those conditions. So being aware of what's happening in the industry around you, I always tell people, you know, what are, what are your friends and what's happening with your friends and neighbors? Um, if, if they've had something happen in their product and you make a similar product, boy, you better be taking a hard look to see if there's um, maybe an opportunity in your program to, to have that same issue. So constantly being aware of what's new, um, what's, uh, what's, you know, coming. Um, I certainly can say um, allergens is not mm. something uh, 27 years ago when this started was, was on the radar at all. And so yeah. making sure that you're meeting the expectations from an allergen standpoint, that is considered a chemical hazard mm -hmm. um, within your HACCP plan. So knowing and watching those. So just this year, uh, there have historically been eight uh, allergens in the U.S. and this year sesame was added to that list. And so again, an, a, a change. If you are exporting product, the expectation is that you actually meet um, all of the allergen requirements for the U.S. and to the country that you're exporting to. So you have to be familiar with all of those types of things. So, you know, just watching that again, what the agency will declare um, an adulterant from a regulatory standpoint 
I'm, you know, most of us are watching that pretty darn close to see what might happen. Um, the, and the, the last thing I'm going to say is the expectations and best practices around how we handle um, ready to eat, so fully cooked, ready to eat items um, continues to drive forward. So Listeria monocytogenes is typically our organism of concern there. Um, and it's too often people say, well, you know, I've never gotten sick of it. This is a um, high mortality organism, like one in six people die from listeria. So the fact that it has low incidence is fantastic. Right. Um, but we have to, as an industry, continue to control that so that we don't see an increase in those. So, yeah, it's hard to say what are what are the new things. If I look at recall data, I would say, you know, allergens are typically the number one cause of um, recalls and mostly because of mislabeling. We mm -hmm. just don't get the right label on the package for various reasons. Um, and then we have seen an increase in foreign objects um, and recalls for foreign objects. Um, so, you know, continuing to watch what the agency will do there. They're certainly looking at consumer complaint data at this point in time to make sure that you are responding and reacting appropriately when you get consumer complaints in. Um, so those are the, you know, it, I, I spend most of my time looking at organisms and looking yeah. at new technologies to control them. So yeah. whether they can survive in a more acidic environment than we thought, or we, you know, there's this new acid or new treatment, or um, I had a plant the other day, uh, they were using, um, they were using an, an acid treatment on the carcass. And what they didn't realize is they were applying that acid treatment immediately after a hot water rinse. And so they were diluting out their acid to, you know, really being ineffective. And I said, the I agency see. will actually yeah. allow you to, you know, put a higher concentration of acid then and then measure at the drip. And, you know, they just didn't know. And so that's that keeping current, um, you know, that exactly what we found that if we're applying it too soon, we just dilute it out and then we lose all the efficacy of it. So yeah, those kinds of things. Well, that's where, that's where folks like you who have devoted them themselves to, um, making sure that we can stay in business, but then also making sure that the food is continues to be safe is um, that's where we applaud you and, and your team. Um, and, uh, and, and I know you have a, a very robust uh, team that, that really has a lot of experience um, in the, in the business. Um, if you don't mind, we, as we, as we land this plane, um, so to say, um, we like to ask pretty much all of our guests, how did you get to where you are today? How did you become Dr. Lynn Delmore and, uh, and and what you're doing these days that's not always a short answer that's all right <laughs> I'll, I'll try to keep it brief so i um went through my in my young years um working in 4-h and livestock and uh thought that i wanted to be involved in animal agriculture and the only true position i knew of at that point in time that worked with animals was a veterinarian and so i spent most of my young uh, life saying, I want to be a veterinarian, I want to be a veterinarian. And then I actually got to a community college and had the opportunity to take my first meat science class mm -hmm. and saw the conversion of an, you know, a live animal, in this case, it was a steer to a carcass and then, you know, fabricate out into meat cuts. And I went, yes, this is, this is what I've been trying to, you know, when I listen to judges in a 4-H ring, you know, you know, county fair, tell me about the animal. I hadn't seen the carcass. I hadn't put all the pieces together. So big light bulb goes off over my head. And mm. I, um, you know, at that point in time, like literally switched and said, I want to, I want to be a meat scientist and, um, you know, changed my major and uh, went to school for meat science for, you know, three degrees. Um, 
it was in my, at that point, I was really looking at meat processing. I spent most of my time, you know, really working on meat processing. And uh, the Jack in the Box incident had just occurred when I was starting in my PhD program and I had the opportunity to work in the food safety space. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I once had said I had a micro class that I liked. And that was it. You're the food safety person now. <laughs> and and I'm grateful for that. I'm a food safety yeah. professional. If someone says, what do you do? I'm a food safety professional. Yeah. Um, I'm proud to to be in that space. Um, and yeah, it kind of kind of went from from there and had the opportunity. I worked in industry and have been a consultant now for 20 years and been able to work across to FDA and FSIS inspected facilities and state inspected facilities and um, even some public health inspected facilities. And it's it's been a great journey for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 uh, also uh, a part time faculty at Colorado State University. Is that right? <laughs> that is correct. Where I teach. Yeah. Guess what? The HACCP class. No kidding. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. You know, I mean, I think that's that's fantastic. And folks, that you know, if if you don't know um, all of the history that that was just mentioned here, um, it's definitely something that's worth um, reviewing in the in the future. Um, the the fact that we have someone here who was who was um, essentially on the front lines when. The thing that caused HACCP to become mandatory happened, and um, that means you have uh, you you've seen how this has progressed from essentially the beginning of the modern version of of what we have right now, um, and uh, and and that's pretty cool. It's really neat to be able to um, gain some knowledge from you and and have you here uh, as a guest, and um, hopefully, if you, if we have any other thoughts or, or topics out there from our listeners, um, be happy to reach back out to Dr. Lynn Delmore, uh, Dr. Bob Delmore, if we need to as well. Um, uh, and uh, and uh, what a great team. So um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll connect again soon. Fantastic. Thank you all.